Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast Strikes Back. My name is George, and you're listening to our review of Rogue One. The Blu-ray just came out. We watched it, and by we, I mean Connor. Hey. And Benny. Hello. Uh, also, just quickly, we've got a competition up. Uh, you can win Rogue One. Head to our website, thepodcaststrikesback.com. Head to the competitions tab and fill in the details. You can go and win possibly win a Rogue One Blu-ray. How exciting is that? Anyway, let's get into this. Uh, we chucked it on Wednesday night. Yeah, uh, We had a bit of a slumber party. <laughs> it was a bit of a slumber party for you two, I think. <laughs> uh, I was so tired by the end of that. I Look, I think this, is, for me, illustrated how important it is, like how you come to a movie, the the state of mind you're in going in. Because um, I remember when, when I originally watched it, I enjoyed it. Rewatching it with you guys, we didn't stop ripping into it. And it just kind of illustrated for me, like, if you come to it tired or just, like, not... Uh, yeah, and also if it's not a very good movie. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a cop-out, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was shit, and it's my fault. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> seriously. Because I used to watch... I'm sorry, I to, Disney. <laughs> I used to have a friend that I watched horror films with, and I will not watch it with them anymore, because what it turned into is this really critical um, ripping of a movie without ever giving it a chance. And with things like horror films, you really need to be in a state of mind, you have to want to enjoy a horror film for it to work. Because anyone can just go into a horror film and be like, this is shit, and not be scared by it or anything like that. I completely agree with that. I hate people who won't give movies a chance. I always try and come at them on their own terms. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that... Mm. Rogue One, we saw it at the cinema. I think, Benny, you were in the camp of, this isn't so great... Connor, you were really on board with it. I was kind of a bit disappointed with the film, I think, uh, on a t- storytelling level and just a kind of magic Star Wars level. I think even the prequels have more magic than this one has. I know Oof, I'll go down. Claim. Like, even on just John Williams' score, it just adds this other quality that this film is really lacking. Um, now, is this worse than Phantom Menace? Is this worse than Attack of the Clones? No. I don't think so as a whole, but I don't think this is the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, you conspicuously left out one of the prequels there in your little ranking. <laughs> I like I like Revenge of the Sith. I think that's the best of the prequels. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think it's a cool little Star Wars film. Hmm. I think the biggest issue with this film is that it wasn't quite a Star Wars film. And I think I say that in the issue that people went into it with and the marketing was very clear. This isn't a Star Wars film. It's a standalone. It's a Star Wars story. Yeah. Well, yeah, a Star (laughs) Wars story. It's within the universe, but it's not your typical Star Wars film. And when that actually translated out on screen, I think a lot of people were, you know, shocked that it wasn't, you know, what they had seen before. I'm like, well, for fuck's sake, they said it wasn't going to be a a normal Star Wars film. So, I mean, uh, one of the things that took you out, George, was that they had the names of the planets, which they had never done in a Star Wars film. But I mean... That kind of makes sense because it's not a Star Wars film. I just didn't like anything about them putting the names and I didn't like that they were spelling it out. I didn't like the font. I didn't like the ethos behind the decision. The one place that you... Well, I mean, I guess they go back to the Yavin 4 in this, but they go to Mustafar in this and they didn't put the planet name up because of the they didn't want to ruin the reveal of Vader being in the back to tank. But like, come on, man, like put it in or don't put it in. I don't know. I just didn't like it. I think you're pretty solidly in the camp of don't put it in. <laughs> I hope they keep it out of episode eight and just keep it for the Star Wars stories ones because oh. 
If they yeah, start definitely. putting it in the, the episodes, I'm going to be raging. No way that's going to happen. But I think that, as you said, number eight is part of that solid, straight-lined Star Wars film. So you're going to get that kind of Star Wars magic that you mentioned was in the prequels. Um, so yeah, I think that you need to approach this film very much as being its own little story uh, aside from that main line i don't know what would you call it what are they the the, the mainline star wars films mainline star wars um films? i think i absolutely think that's how i came at it like you're right i was maybe a little uh cynical coming into it the second time watching it but uh the first time i watched it i remember it starting up uh and just getting the first scene kind of with mads mickelson and and uh ben mendelson and stuff and thinking already kind of liking it more than uh episode seven um and thinking okay now we this could be the one they could be onto something here and then for the next 90 minutes just being really bored um and that was exacerbated watching it the second time it's rare for me to not go see a big big blockbuster like this two times in the cinema um because i get free tickets because i'm cool um (laughs) those days are past for us george yeah so it was really striking for me at the time just having no desire to go see this a second time and having to do it for the podcast was, in all honesty, a slog. You poor thing. Yeah, it's tough. It's Make you so watch tough. movies? Yes, Star Wars movies. Hmm. Yeah, I saw Force Awakens four times in the <laughs> cinema. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it probably like six to eight times on Blu-ray or Netflix. I yeah. saw it three in the cinema. I didn't even like it that much. But this one I only saw twice in the cinema. And I'm not really looking forward to watching it again. Look, I'll, I'll admit that there's certainly not the same energy... Um, in the first half of the film that there is in the second half. It does take a while for this movie to kind of gain speed. It doesn't gain speed, though. It's just, it's zero. And then it's 100 for, like, yeah. the last half hour. You said it right, Benny, on the night where really when the Battle of Scarif kicks in is where you feel like you're watching a Star Wars movie. You feel like you're watching a movie. That's what I said. I feel like I'm watching a movie, finally, because before that, it's just a slog. It's just meandering. Just, yeah. um, the first sort of two-thirds of it flip-flop between these scenes of absolute brilliance and excellence, and then it goes to Grandma Tarkin's God. face. It, you go, what, what is this? And mm. then it'll go to... Some really cool world building, like um, the you know the stuff with two tubes and just interesting stuff on Jeddah. So it's just some some scenes just not not complementing each other, and the trajectory of the plot just never really picks up speed. There's no there's no kind of momentum behind this film. I feel like it's very sluggish. There were some very unnecessary scenes. I will admit that the um, the squid scene. I felt like that I didn't need to see that, that didn't play a really big part in it. And funnily enough, the other, the, the scene that I like least in Force Awakens is um, the uh, Rathtars, the squid monsters in that. So yeah. get the squid stuff out of Star Wars. Get it out of there. It's tradition now. It's got to be in every one. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think there were some really good gems in this film. Um, the stuff on Jedi I really enjoyed. Let's talk about the good stuff, though. Let's. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I think there's I think, plenty of good stuff in this film. Don't get me wrong. First and foremost, um, I really enjoyed the 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 Jedi world building. So movies that um, that are part of a larger universe that really kind of show um, a history and a background. Those little gems are things that I really love. So the stuff on Jeddah, talking about you know the Jedi's and and talking, and you see those big statues that are obviously you know decayed over m- many years. 
Jedis. Listen to this guy. I think you'll find the plural is Jedi. Oh, okay. I see. Right. Fair enough. Um, that That's the kind of stuff that I really like in these kind of films. Following on from that kind of world building, I think this film brings a complexity to the rebels versus the empire that's not really in the original trilogy. It's kind of black and white, good and bad. And this one, there's some, you know, gray area in it, which is really interesting. You've got um, Tarkin and Krennic on one side battling it out, the power struggle there. You've got um, the rebels and Saw Gerrera, and they're all kind of against the Empire, but they're taking different approaches and a different ethos. And I think that is a really interesting component to this film. Uh, Visually as well, this film is fantastic. The production design and the new um, elements they bring to the Star Wars vehicles and armor for the different stormtroopers is really cool. Building on what you said before about the being a bit more gray area, not being quite so black and white, which has been a a, a big staple in Star Wars. Like, there's never really any doubt who's good and who's bad in this. Um, But that first scene with Cassian, where he shoots his informant, informant, um, for me, set that character up to be so interesting. Like, I loved that idea that they're not doing this really black and white um, kind of painting of these characters. so that, that, I thought, was really well done. They didn't really do much with that character after that. Nope. I totally agree. And he does have a really good monologue in the ship where he says, you know, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. And his the way he delivers that line is very poignant, but they don't go anywhere with it. Yeah, see, uh, that specific sequence, I think, is really good. I really like his end of the conversation, but I feel like Jin Erso's responses are nonsense. You can't escape with words or whatever but, Yeah, says. it's like yeah. you can't talk your way out of this one. That's it's like, right, yeah. That's sort of come back to what he just said. Every side of the dialogue, his side, is really cool. And she's just saying stuff that doesn't even connect to it. I I mean, I know we were going to try and talk about the good things about this film, but I felt like that was... I never, I didn't understand any of the characters' um, arcs in this mm-hmm. film. Like, it just seems so weird. Like, we had, uh, you know, Jen uh, Urso as this criminal um, kind of outcast who, you know... The arc, I'm assuming, was be that she learns to hope for the rebellion, but she seems to be on board from the beginning, like in this weird kind of, like I didn't get any struggle or arc from her. Um, Cassian's character, I didn't understand the arc that he was supposedly going through or what the um, the catalyst for his his arc was. Like just the, all the characters seem to be, I just, I didn't get a clear story pattern out of them. It's very half-hearted. I mean, that's what everyone kind of cites as the weakest part of this film, is the characters. I mean, Jin Erso is such a weak character. I really don't think she's anything special. You know, I, I enjoy a character being one-dimensional if it doesn't need to be anything but one-dimensional. Um, and I know it's a tradition here for me to, to mention um, Johnny Depp. So when I talk... Oh, no. <laughs> I, no, but when I talk Strap about in, people. Jack Sparrow, very one-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, he's a complex character, but he's, I mean, he's got his shtick, and he does it, and it's great. But that's all he needs to be, is this weird character to the side. If you try and make that character anything more than he is, then that's where it starts to fail. It's the same thing with this. Like, So you've got um, characters like Donnie Yen, um, and I can't remember his friend. What, um, what, uh, who was it? Baze. Baze? Chirrut Imwe and Baze something. Yeah. I, God, I was so sick of how they kept saying he, all the names. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> buy the action figure. But those are like uh, relatively one-dimensional characters. But I love them because they were what they set out to be. We need characters like um, Jern Erso and Cassian to be more plot-driving, to be more three-dimensional. 
but they weren't. I think Jin also should have been a little more spunky. I think she could have had a few more quips and been a little less sort of dry. She should have shot someone. I feel like I feel like that would sure. have done it. Like the the two characters were really weird because you feel like in on the offset, Cassian should have been the one that's saying, "Let's hope for the rebellion. Let's like bring you on board," and been the catalyst for a for a, an arc for Generoso, who should have started out really jaded, which they kind of set up for her to be. And then, yeah, I just I at no point did I understand the. Uh, it just it still boggles my mind. She's she's against the rebellion until she's not suddenly. Yeah, and she's jaded, but she's not. Like, she's the hopeful one. Cassian is jaded, but he's also the one that is meant to make her not... I don't understand Character stuff just doesn't work in this movie at all, which is a big problem when you've got an ensemble movie like this where it's just all characters and the the plot's not really doing much. K2SO, I loved him the first time I saw the film and the audience was, you know, laughing at all his one-liners. But the second time, man... I don't know if those jokes have repeatability uh, because I didn't find him nearly as funny. I found him kind of awkward and sometimes a bit forced. I think I laughed one time. That's when he threw a bag on the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that tickled me for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. But uh, yeah, everything else fell a bit flat for me. I was I was down with that that character and, and his kind of humor. I, I thought his character was probably one of the more interesting in in that ensemble. Not hard um, to be. It's not saying much, of course, but... um. Yeah, I was I I was down with that. I thought the humor was probably on point. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. His death was certainly the most meaningful, probably. out of any any of the deaths in that probably. movie. Probably, uh, no, nah, didn't do anything for me. That the second time, I reckon, uh, Chirrut and Bay's their little, yeah, their little okay, yeah, sorry, that's, that's that is. I said at the time that was the first and only time I really felt any kind of feeling in the film. Definitely, I felt feelings. Yeah, I haven't felt feelings in years, but that that. that That'd do it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, are we still talking about good stuff in this movie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to like pin down like something really good about this film without it being interfered with, with something that just kind of lets you down. That's that flip-flop thing I was kind of talking about. It's like moments yeah. of brilliance and great world building and seeing something so fantastic on screen because I thought, the, as I said, the production design and that worn you know, original trilogy look was on screen and updated for 2016, 2017, the modern era. But beyond that, it just didn't do anything. Didn't do anything to tug me along. You got to be tugged. I will say some stuff just because it's a very short list of good stuff for me and then we can really start railing on it. But um, that's when we'll start railing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I like the, the casting. No one in this film really felt like a kind of a hero archetype. It really did feel like that kind of the, the dark side of the rebellion, um, even on a like a superficial level. I don't mean this in a mean way, but there's there's no kind of Harrison Ford, really handsome, charming person in there. They they all feel like they should be background characters. Unfortunately, they were also written that way. But um, uh, obviously, yeah, the movie looks pretty good. I wasn't really blown away by it. Um, and yeah, I think I'm about done. <laughs> One of the things that really pissed me off about this film was superficial nostalgia. Little grabs when they showed R2-D2 and C-3PO. I was like, fuck off. When they showed those dudes on Jeddah from the cantina on Tatooine. Yeah, that was another one. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Speaking of which, how do they survive? 
Because that place is gone. They must have gone straight off to Tatooine. (laughs) Immediately. To die. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, how bad would that be? You've just escaped this massive, like, holocaust of a city. Yeah, for every time it tried to separate itself from the original trilogy by, for example, not putting in a crawl, um, you know, changing the score up and Mm. giving us that shitty title sequence, which we'll talk about soon as well. It tried to force in and sandwich in those moments with characters or some kind of familiar thing that you had seen from the uh, other Star Wars films. And man, it was so flaccid. Any any moment this movie tried to hark back to the um, any kind of previous property, uh, I just felt like that was probably some of its weakest moments. I think that if I th- ultimately, I think if this movie had really kind of believed in itself. <laughs> Um, it would have done. Well, it, yeah, it's hope. It had done way better. The moments where I think it's it was strongest in in connectivity to the entire universe was in, the the explanation for you know why the reactor explodes. Like that that little moment was awesome for me. I thought that was such a cool little fix to a a problem that's been touted in that universe for so long. But apart from that, I thought all the other hardbacks were really bad. Yeah, I don't know how how much I like that. Oh, let's explain everything. You know, what well, did it matter? Was a New Hope any more enjoyable since this film has come out and explained that? I don't think so. Um, I I don't think it matters for a New Hope. I don't. So think it those really kind of affects... retrofits that this film does really are meaningless in my eyes, and actually kind of detract in a lot of ways. I I liked them for how they served the overall universe and how it and how it played out in this film. I don't think it makes a difference watching A New Hope, that that explanation. I don't think it affects how I see that film. And don't put it in. Well, but I, I, think it, I think it works just for this film. And I think it works as an overall explanation in canon. He doesn't have to put it in. He doesn't have to be the guy that devised this plan that will take down the Empire. So I'm going to add this thing that means you have to get a ship and shoot at this thing and then blow Nah, man. Nah. I'm sorry. I, look, no, I don't. I nah. don't think there's any. Like, I think that's really starting to nitpick on this film on a level that it doesn't will, need to be. No, it he's wearing a Star Wars shirt. Yeah, look, I mean, it makes sense because you know if he hadn't designed it that way, it's entirely possible that the only way to uh, destroy the ship was some kind of um, you know laser beam equal to that the power of the of the weapon. Like, I, th- I think that there's no. That's what about fine. Return of the Jedi? They destroyed it in another way and they figured it out. And was that a thing planted in the ship that somebody put it in there? Same thing with Force Awakens. They figure out a way to destroy it. Nobody reveals it. Nobody puts in some little... I, I don't think that that's an issue. I liked it as as a kind of plot point within the film. Um, get over yourself, George. I won't. This is the kind of movie that makes me very cynical um, because I don't hate it. Well, I don't hate it as a film. I think it's fine in most ways and pretty good in some others. But I just think it's not good enough to be entertaining and it's not bad enough to be really watchable either. Uh, And it just kind of makes me angry. And I I look at how well it's done and how okay everyone is with it. And it makes me think Disney really has no impetus to make these movies any better than this. And they're just going to keep pumping them out like this again and again and again. They'll keep doing great and everyone will love them at first and then forget about them. And I'll just be sitting there kind of raging. It's the 20th highest grossing film of all time. Not adjusted for inflation, um, <laughs> so that's it's a success. I mean, on they're all doing fronts. fine, yeah. Like financially, this film is a success. Yeah, but critically, it was as well. No one hated this film. Yeah, and I don't hate this film. I, hate I don't it. think <laughs> I don't think it deserves to be hated. I don't think it is. I think if you compare it to 
you know, the original trilogy, or if you compare it to A Force Awakens, you of course you're going to be disappointed. I think that's what we're doing, though. And I don't think this film deserves to be hated either, but I think it's a trend that perhaps deserves to be hated, and it's a model that deserves to be hated, just maybe. Just fine films? Yeah, just fine films. That sounds like a, a 1950s... This is a fine film. ...really good recommendation, like, that film's fine. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things that this movie could have done that would have just made it, you know, 100% more watchable. Um, I think they should have either taken Sol Guerrero out completely or given him some actual screen time where he does some shit. Mm. Yeah. I think that they just didn't quite hit the mark nothing character. I agree, they should have taken him out completely. (laughs) And that's nothing on Forrest Whitaker. I I really like some of the things he did in it. It's purely a script problem one of my friends at work um megan leonard shout out to megan she said you can't direct a film by committee and that means you can't have 12 producers coming in to a film and making all of these decisions um because it gets watered down and the creative process really erodes um and this film was notorious there was so much press about the reshoots and this film was obviously manhandled in the editing room i mean how many people had a hand in making creative editing decisions story decisions other than gareth edwards the supposed director of this film um you, you can really feel that in the film half the trailer's not in there it has that written all over it for me just a really diluted film that doesn't this is so mediocre it's got things from star wars in it but like is it actually a star wars film uh you know i mean it says it on the (laughs) but is it it doesn't fire me up and give me that sense of exhilaration that something like the force awakens um really did see i'm not the star wars guy like you i'm i'm not that into it i i just want to watch a good movie that i enjoy which doesn't do for me like the only time I was really into it. Like everyone loves that Darth Vader scene. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Um, oh, it's so good. It's very cool. It's so. We're good. talking about the end scene. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's, when I was a kid, man, I loved uh, Jedi Knights. That was such a fun multiplayer game, and this tapped into that video game force choking, just badassery. This film has a lot of video game tendencies in it. You know, they have to go push this switch over here and get there and perform this task. That kind of, that really did annoy me. Especially the the handily grab the hard drive <laughs> out of the middle cylindrical thing. I only accept that when it's Alec Guinness, like twisting knobs. It's the only mm. time that that's, oh, that's passable. Twisting knobs, huh? <laughs> I just, I still remember the, the, that scene. I don't know why I loved that scene so much when I was a kid, but just those kind of sound effects like, as he's like pulling the knobs down. Got to stop saying knobs. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even covered the nadir of this film, really. Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, yeah, thing. I don't even think we need to talk about it much because this is kind of the universally hated part. But, upon um, upon rewatching that, that looks so much worse. Than agreed. I yeah, it looked a lot worse. I yeah. thought. I don't think that character should have been in there. I I like the idea that they wanted to kind of connect them. If that was the actual actor playing that, or even if they had done makeup, like I don't know, like, I would have been more accepting of that. Yeah, totally. They did make up in episode three for uh, Tarkin, and yeah. it looked fine. But the thing, the thing that worked with Revenge of the Sith was that he—you didn't zoom in on his face like this one does. It was from the back, and that's the way they should have done it. There's a great shot in this where you see his reflection, looking. That looks fine. That's how they should have approached this. Like, don't do that whole reveal. Don't zoom in on his nose. Just keep it in check. They could have done this in a more tactical way. As I said, the the shot of him looking in the glass, the reflection was really cool. 
Um, they could have also done holograms. Easy way to put him that in the story. Sweet, yeah. It's it's foolproof. The Star Wars holograms are very low res. What I what I honestly think they were doing because they leaned so hard into it in this film. Like everyone comes out of it, like what were they thinking? I think they were really field testing the technology with a minor character because they know a lot of these these older actors are going to be falling off soon. And as we did sadly see uh, a little while ago with Carrie Fisher, uh, so they were seeing what the the public response on a large scale would be to taking an actual actor and, and creating like a just a CGI puppet of them, uh, and the response was not good. Yeah, look, I I, I agree. Um, I think there's a tasteful way to do it. Um, what they did with uh, Princess Leia at the very end, I was okay with. Didn't like it. I mean, but the, realistically, it was a couple of seconds. It didn't have to be the best CGI I've ever seen. Like, I got the the kind of hit out of it. It was fine. Um, I didn't like it. I think if Graham Moff Tarkin wasn't in this film, that would have been talked about a lot more. Because, like, luckily for her there was a much bigger distraction throughout the whole film, which was that terrible Tarkin. But if she was the only kind of CGI character in it, it would have been bad. Yeah, look, I, I thought the because of the screen time, because of the nature of what was going on in that scene, I was okay with that. But it does really illustrate that they should not be animating Carrie Fisher in, in any kind of scenes that um, require her to be talking a lot in 8 or 9, because she's confirmed to be, she will appear in episode 9. So Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. Um. So I guess as a final question to you guys, how does Rogue One affect your confidence in future a Star Wars story <laughs> entries? So, you know, we have Han Solo coming up. I'm pretty sure with Star Wars Celebration happening happening next week, we're going to get maybe an Obi-Wan or a Boba Fett Bounty Hunter announcement. These are all in the pipeline. How does Rogue One affect your confidence in those upcoming projects? I've pretty much stayed from day one that I don't think... I think Han Solo film is such a risk. Um, this th- this one means nothing to me in terms of how that affects the rest of the films. Purely based on on the premise of the rest of the films, they worry me a bit. Yeah, look, with the Han Solo one, um, I've pretty much maintained from day one that that one worries me just because of the way that they've structured it, the way that they've, um, they've said that they're announcing with... Uh, it's going to be over like six years and stuff like that. Not, not keen. Um, I also think the Boba Fett one... Um, I just don't think there's enough really to with that character to make anything out it of it. It would be an ensemble film, the rumors are. So yeah, that, still... that makes it a little better in my eyes. Yeah, because this Rogue One ensemble film was great. Yeah, very true. <laughs> but very uh, true. I mean, the the one that I actually would be keen on seeing is the, um, the Obi-Wan, because I think that that's a character that you could do some cool stuff with um, in, a, in a time that, that you can really put any story in there um, and tie it in nicely. Um, but in, yeah, in terms of how this affects any of the other standalones, uh, I think the other standalones have issues of their own that worry me far more than how this one was dealt with. Uh, maybe I'm being a little dramatic, but I feel like with every one of these new Disney Star Wars films, the the overall kind of average quality of the Star Wars franchise goes down a little bit. Um, and I hope that trend doesn't continue. I, I enjoyed uh, Force Awakens quite a lot of kind of cooled on it a little bit since then. This one I didn't enjoy so much, and watching it a second time was tough. Um, I never want to see it again, to be honest. Um, so, I don't know, episode eight is going to have to be something special. All signs point to it being something special, so it's going to have to be, because the more and more this goes on, it just looks like they're just pumping out these products. 
Yeah, we'll see. We'll see Star Wars Celebration next week. Maybe we'll get an Obi-Wan announcement. Um, so, yeah, that's it for our Rogue One review. Damn, that was a bit <laughs> of a downer, huh? Yeah. I think there was so much hope for this film and the trailers were so fantastic. I've watched the whole arc for you, George. You yeah. were so keen for it. I remember you coming yeah. out of the cinema. You were pretty happy at the time as well and it's just been downhill since then. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to love Rogue One, but as you say, you know, you get time to sort of digest the film mm. and... You know, watching this time, it wasn't anything fantastic. I even came into this podcast expecting to defend it a lot. And <laughs> <laughs> like I was gonna, you know, I'm going to kind of be the voice of reason. This movie isn't as bad as everyone thinks it is. Um, and then just as, like as soon as we start talking about it, bad shit comes out of my yeah. mouth. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> it's too late. It's out there. It really just boils down to it's not a very fun film. It's just boring and dry. And No, it's not. Yeah. But hey... That's it for this episode. As we said at the beginning, go to our website, thepodcaststrikesback.com. Head to the competitions tab. You can win a copy of Rogue One on Blu-ray. How exciting. (laughs) We haven't thought this through. (laughs) You can win it. You can can sell it if you want. It's worth a bit of money. What did I say just then? No, you said, well, I just realized. It's funny because we've just railed on this movie for half an hour. It's like, hey, you can win Rogue One. We haven't thought this out very well. That's fine. That's fine. If you haven't seen it, it's 10 out, it. 10, 10 out of 10. Enter the competition. Skip to this moment. I own it. And uh, if you like it, comment below. Let us know because well, I want to hear why you guys love it. I'm fascinated by how well-received this film has been. Please uh, try and convince us. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's it from me, Connor. Bye. Benny's. See ya. Let's get some beers in. Woo.